The fundamental ideas and concepts that surround scriptural interpretation have frequently been debated and discussed. One of the reasons for this is because, for a great many people, the Bible is ambiguous. It's an enigmatic book whereby various different interpretations are not only possible, but also plausible. This is particularly true in a highly subjective age, whereby foundational truth is so often replaced by the idea of personal truth. Adding to this ambiguity is the realization that the Bible, it can be taken wildly out of context. Scriptures can be twisted, they can be turned, they can be reshaped and remolded to say whatever someone wants them to say. Or they can be treated as if they were somehow piecemeal, with each passage or verse standing alone. Take any of these things by themselves or together in some combination or another, and it can lead to considerable confusion and frustration. Yet there's an answer to these problems, and it comes from a historical understanding of the interpretive process. When examining and exploring the scriptures, the reformers, they had a simple principle by which they began their studies with. This is the idea of scriptura sacra sui ipsius interpreus, or sacred scriptures is its own interpreter. This week, as we begin our series on theologically sound terms and expressions, we will be asking, where does this idea come from? What does it mean? And how should it guide one's reading of God's word? How does it impact their understanding of what it is that the Bible is actually saying? I'm Wyatt McIntyre, and this is our Timeless Faith. think of biblical interpretation, what comes to mind? Does anything? This is perhaps one of the bigger challenges that exists within modern Christianity today. We don't give a lot of thought to the process of the interpretation of scripture, except perhaps as a matter of personal interpretation, as it's applicable to our life or our situation right at that moment, to a circumstance which we may be facing. What I mean is that perhaps we open our Bible to a chapter or a passage or a verse and we read it, but we read it for what it means for us and for our lives right at that very moment. We consider the question of personal application in our interpretation, but we forget to ask about the larger question of context or meaning when it comes right down to it. The reality is that even when we do view 
scriptures as being the objective truth of God, even when we view them as being the inerrant and infallible word of God. Even when we approach them with a high view, there can be a certain subjectivity by which we interpret them with. This is because we tend to view the scriptures through a particular lens. The inherent problem, though, is that this lens, this lens can tend to obscure our view. It can have the ability to cloud our understanding of what it is that the Bible is saying as we center the meaning around us and our particular needs at that very moment. That is why it is so essential to begin this process rightly, with the proper view and focus. And when we begin the process of looking at Scripture, when we begin the process of studying and examining them for their meaning, we have to remember the primary rule of scriptural interpretation, the primary rule of biblical hermeneutics. This is Scriptura Sacra Sui Ipsius Interpreus, namely, sacred scripture is its own interpreter. Martin Luther, the reformer whose 95 theses would spur on the Protestant Reformation, would view this as essential to understanding the Word of God. You see, Luther, Luther and the other reformers, they would adhere to a very basic underlying principle. This would namely be sola scriptura, scripture alone. What this would essentially mean is that the holy scriptures as the divinely inspired word of God preserved through the ages by his spirit was alone the supreme authority over the church and over the life of Christians. By its very nature, it was the Norma Normans, the ruling rule, the rule that rules. These will, Norma Normans and Sola Scriptura, be terms which we explore in more depth as our series goes on. For the time, though, it's important to recognize that the scriptures were seen as the absolute norm of our faith, determining that which is right and that which is wrong, that which is orthodox and that which is heterodox. Now, if this is the case, which the reformers asserted, there has to then be a certain perspicuity to scriptures, a certain clarity to them, which cannot be dismissed or undermined. As such, in order to properly understand the Word of God, in order to properly understand Scripture, one must reflect on Scripture through the lens of Scripture itself, allowing for it 
to determine the plain meaning of the text itself, recognizing that the obvious will make the obscure known and the explicit will translate the implicit. As Luther would say elsewhere, in this manner, Scripture is its own light. It is a fine thing when Scripture explains itself. In the words of the Westminster Confession of Faith, the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture which is not manifold but one, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. How do we know this to be true, though? That's really the fundamental question. It's well and good to listen to Luther. It's well and good to listen to the Westminster Confession of Faith. But how do we know what they're actually asserting here is true and faithful to the Word of God? Well, the key way in which we are able to recognize this is due to the fact that Scripture itself testifies of it. The Bible doesn't tell 66 separate and distinct stories, nor can one just cluster certain books together and say that this is one individual portion that stands alone from the rest of the Word of God. The Pentateuch, those first five books of Moses, for example, do not stand alone from the four Gospels. The Gospels do not tell a different story than what might be found in the minor or the major prophets. There is a harmony, there is a unity that exists throughout as all of these passages, chapters, and books weave together. The work of the Holy Spirit is such that the Bible tells one story through the process of progressive revelation. As it continues, its fullness is revealed, as those later portions reveal the meaning of that which would be written earlier. Augustine of Hippo would build on this understanding when he would write, for example, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Though the nice thing here is that we don't just have to take the Bishop of Hippo's word for it. The most important testimony that we have to this fact is Christ himself. It's Jesus, for example, who in John's Gospel says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. In Luke's Gospel, he states, These are my words that I spoke to you 
while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The interesting element of Christ's words in Luke is the bridge that it provides. Right there we looked at Luke chapter 24 verse 44. But if you look at Luke 24 verses 44 through 47, what you find is that it actually reflects what has to be considered an essential framework for an emerging proclamation of salvation. And it is built on the foundation of the Old Testament. And then it carries through to the later books, in particular, Acts. And we we can talk about this for a long time. And likewise, we can go through countless verses cross-referencing scriptures, reflecting on revealed events that lifted the veil on passages that had previously been shrouded in mystery, looking at how the scriptures interact with themselves. But we're not going to do that for the time that we have right now. Suffice to say that None of it actually exists within a vacuum. They interact with one another. They exist in harmony and unity with one another. They draw on each other for meaning, for purpose, for understanding, revealing more and more and more to the reader as they go along. What then Scriptura Sacra Sui Ipsius Interpreus teaches is that the word of God must be read with a deep sense of its unity. The word of God must be read holistically, recognizing that the entirety of it is clear and coherent and consistent when it's studied with that harmony in mind. There there are no contradictions. There are no conflicts. There is no disagreements that exist there. To this end, one can't read it based on their own private interpretation of what it means to them and to them alone. They need to consider the larger context. They need to read it in the manner in which it was intended to be read by the original author for the original audience. Because otherwise, the point which is actually being taught can easily and simply be missed. To butcher the old adage, one sees the tree, but they ultimately miss the forest. Simply put, they see see 
certain details. They see certain elements. But the bigger picture, the wider beauty is missed because the focus is far too narrowly construed to one's own individual situation or circumstances. In that, what's actually being taught is lost somewhere along the way. Likewise, what Scriptura Sacra Sui Ipsius Interpreus teaches is that there, there is nothing contradictory. There are not two different meanings which can be found in these verses. There is no disunity between two separate passages. What I mean is that Scripture affirms itself. As such, one can't read a passage and find that it somehow just manages to contradict or go against what is taught elsewhere in the Word of God. Perhaps one of the more common examples we find of this in our postmodern world is in how we interpret Jesus' message of love. How we interpret Jesus' message of love, believing that it somehow contradicts Paul's teaching on well, sexual morality. Christ's teaching is viewed solely through the lens of that particular moment of his teaching, or the individual's modern interpretation of its meaning. It's looked at as being solitary to that particular moment or place in time. And there's no consideration as to the larger or wider context. There's no attempt here to understand what Jesus might be teaching. So as such, it must contradict the teachings of Paul. Yet a clearer study of Scripture in light of Scripture would easily would easily clear up any number of questions on this matter, recognizing that these two areas of teaching do not actually contradict each other. Love does not dismiss sin, nor does love for one's neighbor force them to turn a blind eye to iniquity or pretend as if wrong was somehow right. Recognizing what is wrong and what is right calls the Christian to a deeper, more profound understanding of what love actually is and what their obligation is amidst that love. Regardless, this belief that these various passages are not in alignment with one another, the belief that these various passages, they in fact contradict each other, does nothing for the reader except cause confusion, cause frustration, and cast a shadow of skepticism 
fogging their own vision. This, in turn, causes them to call into question the integrity of the Word of God and perhaps just dismiss entire portions of Scripture outright because they believe it doesn't fit. And why? Because they allowed their personal interpretation to so proceed a scriptural interpretation because they allowed their own personal interpretation to supersede the principle of scripture interpreting scripture. Now this means at times we have to recognize though that interpretation interpretation is going to be a daunting task. There will be passages where it is difficult to ascertain a specific or a precise meaning because frankly no other passages touch on the general subject matter as it is precisely stated. Perhaps the most famous example of this can be found in Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians where he states otherwise what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Here, the meaning is notoriously difficult to ascertain, and it can't even really be determined what the practice Paul was making mention of was. There's no other mention of baptized on behalf of the dead in Scripture. And there are countless different explanations as to what the expression could actually mean. Some commentaries make mention of 30 or 40 different interpretations. One commentary has 17 subcategories of interpretation, and entire books have been written on this one single passage. Yet, by Scripture, interpreting the verse through the lens of other Scripture, what we are capable of doing is eliminating potential heresies, eliminating potential heterodox teaching by bringing the passage in harmony with them, recognizing that there are certain things that this could not actually mean, certain practices it could not be making reference to. This may not provide a precise meaning in and of itself, but it does allow for the Christian to protect and defend themselves in the face of false teachings that may arise. And there are false teachings that have arisen related to this verse. Now, I do think it's important to say that none of this is to say that the Christian requires special training or instruction in order to read the scriptures or to understand them. None of this is to say that the average Christian should not be trusted with scripture. It is the exact opposite. 
The scriptures are and remain God's gift to us. They are the primary means by which he reveals himself and his will to mankind. It's how we first come to know of Christ and his salvation. How we first come to know of Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. It is the means by which we are open to the Spirit's working, to the Spirit's stirring in our heart. The scriptures are there to build and to strengthen our faith. As Paul reminds us, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible. The Bible is God's gift to us. And it should be read regularly. It should be studied diligently by all believers. What all of this does mean, though, is that we should handle the scriptures with care. We should read them in a manner that befits them. We should see them for the harmonious unified teachings that they offer. They should never be hacked apart. A verse here or a verse there. Recognizing that when we do this, we lose the plain meaning of what they are actually saying and what they are actually teaching us. They don't need to be reinterpreted nor do they need to be treated through the subjective spirit of our age. They need to be seen through the lens of their intended meaning. And this, this right here, can only be achieved when they are read holistically. And so I want you to remember the principle of scriptura sacra sui ipsius interpreus. Because this, this is a theologically sound term. It's a theologically sound principle built upon a strong biblical foundation. And it provides for us the best framework by which we are able to ultimately interpret scripture. But then that's all I came on here to really say. I want to thank you for joining with me and remind you that you can find me on the internet at ourtimelessfaith.com. There I try to release a new article each week. Last week, or well, this week I guess it was. This week I released an article on the dangers of cultural Christianity. I just finished a three-part series on the Bible and how we should read it. 
It actually would be a pretty great companion for this episode, so please check that out. You can also find me on Twitter. My username is Wyatt McIntyre, Instagram at Our Timeless Faith, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Wyatt McIntyre, and on YouTube at youtube.com backslash Wyatt McIntyre. There I'm looking forward to hopefully starting to release um, videos in the near future. But right now, I am putting up the podcast episodes there. So please take the opportunity to check that out, check any of those things out, and interact with me. I look forward to hearing from you. But until we have the opportunity to meet again, may the peace of the Lord, may that transcending, encompassing peace, That peace that surpasses all human knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, even unto life everlasting. Amen.